Welcome to the Veterinary Success Podcast. I'm your host, Isaiah Douglas, and uh, we're going to talk about ownership in the opportunity today. If I was a veterinarian, right, regardless of any age, but ideally one with at least about 10 years left to work, I'd be looking at how to get into practice ownership. So this is episode 150, which is kind of wild to even say and think about. And um, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for listening. And uh, I've had a handful of folks this past week tell me they listen, learn stuff, and a, a lot of this stuff they've learned, hopefully... Um, it's something that I've said, but I've also had amazing guests and people that have, you know, spent time and carved that out for me to be able to share with you. So that is fantastic. And I'm glad that it is something that is useful, right? Like the adventure of this podcast started back in, um, April of 2019. And so it's something that has been really great. And when I hear positive feedback certainly fuels me. So, um, my biggest ask like any content creator, share this stuff, right? With your peers, especially if you're a younger veterinarian or anyone that wants to own, or maybe they think, hey, if they've ever said private practice, ownership is dead, send them this, right? If you're in vet school, send them this because I think it's really, really important. So we're gonna jump into the episode here in a second. I'm gonna pause, we're gonna hit our sponsors and we'll be right back. If you're struggling to attract new staff or your team is experiencing burnout, pick up your phone and call Guardian Vets. Through virtual team solutions like after-hour triage, daytime virtual receptionists, callbacks, and telemedicine, Guardian Vets can help you have happy staff, happy clients, and a thriving business. Go to www.guardianvets.com and check Veterinary Success Podcast in the Where Did You Hear About Us section to get a free consultation and receive 50% off your first month of service. Don't wait. Check out guardianvets.com now. You've heard me talk about the opportunity in urgent care. So VetCheck believes in the power of your capacity to influence your patients, patient families, and be a leader in your community. How they do this is by giving you the freedom to take ownership of your future to make the biggest impact in your patients' lives. They equip you with a turnkey opportunity to take action on the dream through a unique pathway to owning your own VetCheck Pet Urgent Care Center franchise. They provide a solution to remove obstacles like competing against corporate dollars in the community that you want to be in and having access to hospital ownership, medical directorship, and more. Also, you become a partner along the journey. A vet check pet urgent care center franchise is the answer. If you're interested, check out episode number 80, where I talked to Dr. Siva and he shares more about his story and the opportunity. So if this sounds like something that's interesting to you, reach out and learn how you can own your own vet check pet urgent care center franchise today by visiting vetcheckforpets.com, which again is vetcheckforpets.com. All right. So this past week, I was fortunate enough to head to IVEX and uh, I was able to talk on a, a topic around exiting. So practice ownership if you're already an owner and how to think about exiting. And then also a panel discussion on just kind of like an AMA style financial um, advising question and answer type of, of uh, conversation. It was great. So shout out to Ashley Foster, Andrew Langdon, who were part of the panel and fellow veterinarian financial advisor network members or VFAN. Again, if you're listening to this and you need or want help, want to chat through and think, hey, I think someone with some financial expertise would be helpful for where I'm trying to go, strongly, strongly recommend talking to the advisors and the firms on the network. I'm obviously biased on who you should work with, but what I will say, the quality of humans on there is off the charts. They're extremely talented and they're doing things the right way. And I think that's one of the things I've heard consistently um, from a lot of different veterinarians that I've talked to is, hey, I'm working with so-and-so or hey, I'm not sure this is really the right fit, or they seem nice, but, and there, there's all these different qualifiers. And it's like, shoot, they can be nice and they can be a good human. They can do all those things and they can actually do the right thing. And that's kind of what VFAN is there for. 
and it will continue to grow. And that's my goal is to, to provide options. So I was also able to visit a client who's celebrating almost uh, one year of his startup, which will be when this releases will be one year. And he's absolutely crushing it. He shared that he's already had some really interesting conversations and a newer corporate group that's already offered to buy him out for a significant sum. And that's after 11 months. It's insane um, where he's at. And I'm so excited for the growth that's happening and, and things that are there. He's not going to sell because there's lots of things that he can still go out and accomplish with his team and partners. So now everyone is going to be able to grow that quickly. Not everyone, right? So not everyone is, but it is possible. I know of a veterinarian at 38 that was able to sell for eight figures in Maryland and was open for five years after doing a startup. No one talks about that and, and why. And again, this is not just saying, hey, you should be owner, be an owner because of money. Um, I talked to a professional advisory transition expert and he sat in one of the presentations and shared a, a lot of good stats. But one of the things he talked about was, Hey, the EBITDA multiples, which is the earnings before interest taxes, depreciation and amortization, those multiples, which is what a lot of like private equity or uh, corporate groups peaked probably about, you know, six to nine months ago, but they're still certainly elevated from pre COVID. Why? Private equity and these high net worth investors have seen the resilience and robustness of veterinary medicine in the face of economic challenges, recessions, and bad markets. Look at the dot-com crash in, in 2000, 2001. During the financial crisis, practice revenues were flat to down to 1% per a Forbes article that was written right after. Look at 2020 and COVID. And I heard so many best year ever conversations from a revenue perspective for those practice owners. Now, I know it was a year from hell for a lot of practices for a lot of different reasons. But I know a practitioner who is extremely successful, multi-practice owner, and um, you know has been sought after for a lot of different you know speaking engagements and different things. And he also has sold for an incredible amount of money somewhat recently. But he had worked for 25 years, and 2020 was his best year ever revenue-wise. So I saw a post on LinkedIn the other day, and I want to bring this individual on the show that was like, "Hey, you know, veterinary medicine is resilient until it isn't," and I'm like. It's like saying the sky is blue until it isn't. Like it's it's proven that it has been. And there are a lot of tailwinds that have shown this. And Oliver Goudet, who's the CEO of JB Holdings, Compassion First, NVA, and he was talking about how much money they were putting into veterinary medicine. And this is, you know, probably 18 months to 24 months ago, and talked about this is the golden age of veterinary medicine. And he felt like they were kind of in the first, you know, quarter or first, you know, 20% of that. So I think it's really important to understand how interesting and the opportunity within veterinary medicine as an owner is today. Because I am absolutely, you know, sick and tired of hearing like, oh, practice private, you know, private practice ownership is dead. There's no opportunities. Like that is complete crap. The AVMA did a professional quality of life study in 2018 and practice owners scored higher than associates on the compassion satisfaction, lower burnout, and lower secondary trauma stressors. So they like their job more, were less burnout, and had less, you know, frustrations with work. Everyone's gonna have stress in their work. Either it doesn't pay enough, it's difficult, it's a boss or coworker that are a jerk, or it's something else. That meant is hard and challenging. I know that. Again, I've never lived it. I've talked with, you know, for over 150 hours of content on this podcast. And to those that have had, you know, lots of roles in your shoes around the profession. I've worked with over 50 veterinarians as clients and countless more calls with those other than the profession. I know it's hard, but being an associate's hard, but so is being an owner. The difference, your odds of getting to work optional or financial freedom are dramatically increased. And if you don't believe me, let's look at some of the numbers. 
And I think that's part of it is when you control where you're going and you say, hey, this is something that I'm building towards, it makes it easier. So the VSG or the veterinary study group, um, the average profit margin for companion health practice is 16%. That's significantly higher than the stock market returns. So if I think about, hey, I'm going to invest in something, I want to look at what's my rate of return. So I can look at, hey, I can invest in this veterinary practice or I can invest in the SP 500, let's say. Also, the competition, or competition, um, the compensation for an owner varies, but depending on stages in life and what you're trying to accomplish. So if you're early on, maybe you're going to be in growth mode, you're going to reinvest those profits. That's one thing. Maybe you're getting to a point where, hey, I've invested a lot into this business. I'm going to start to kind of reap or sow all those seeds that I had planted. Um, the compensation for an owner is significantly higher than an associate or relief veterinarian. And it's usually well over $200,000. It can be significantly more, significantly more. Also, key factor, you're building equity in a business that's saleable in the future to help fund the next chapter of your life. I already talked about EBITDA. And it's a method to calculate the profits of a business because at the end of the day, that's what someone's going to buy. They're going to buy a business that is producing cash flow and they are going to then be able to say, hey, this produces cash flow like this. We think there's opportunities to grow it and we're going to own it for X amount of years. So this is the value that we're going to put on it. So an example would be if I have an EBITDA of $100,000 and my industry is selling for a 3x, so they're going to put multiples on it, that would be a purchase price of $300,000. So veterinary medicine is seeing, again, multiples that will depend. Are you you know, lower than average? Are you better than average? Or are you best in class? So let's say you know, you're best in class or you're a highly sought after practice. It's 12 to 16 times where three to four years ago, it was six to eight times. The industry transition professional that hopefully I'll bring on the show joked and kind of was like, yeah, EBITDA is such a manipulated metric and you really need to understand what is the multiple of sales. That's a number you can't forge that you can't change. You can't adjust. EBITDA can be subjective at times because there's going to be additions and subtractions where each firm might do that. Now there are ways that people can agree this makes the most sense, but there is some interpretation of EBITDA. So he suggested you look at multiple of sales and he's seen one and a quarter to two and a half paid and kind of his humble brag to me was that they had never had a deal closed for less than five, which is really interesting. So, I mean, that speaks to if you have the right partner, you can certainly see um, net net a significantly higher multiple. Again, I'm going to hopefully bring them on the show, have a conversation, but let's just say you're doing two and a half million dollars top line revenue. If you're doing five X that that's 12 and a half million dollars. And you can do a two and a half million dollar revenue practice with three doctors, maybe two and a half, depending on how you run it. So that's really attractive and really interesting. And I know you're going to say, hey, Isaiah, you're missing so much. It's impossible to hire right now. Good luck trying to do a startup. Good luck trying to find people. I can't pay them enough. They're going to leave. They're going to do something else. I know it's tough, but it's not impossible. Every other business right now is struggling to hire. That is not an excuse that you get to use to say, hey, you just can't do it. Because also... Staffing and plaguing and hiring plagues you when you're an associate too because you're working in a practice that's understaffed. So it's either you're making the decision on who you're bringing on and how you retain and attract talent or someone else is doing it. Would you rather be in more control or say, hey, that's out of my hands, but I'm still going to complain about it? I mean, that's kind of on you. And if we revisit episode 129 with Jason Coppins, he lays out at the tail end how to write a job posting that's going to attract people, how to think about it. Um, Josh Faceman, same thing. He talked about his process of hiring. You can take and borrow these ideas from other people. And I know that the competition for talent is tough, but storytelling is critical to hiring and then culture helps you retain it. And those are easy things to talk about and hard to master. 
Trust me, I'm trying to, to do this in our own business and it is difficult. But if you do those two things, if you're able to tell the story of why they should come and join you and you actually back that up with a really good culture that fits what you were, the story you were telling or explaining, you're off to the races and you're going to grow like a weed. And it's critical that you do because it'll teach you a hundred more times than listening to podcasts till you're 80. You could listen to me talk for years and years and years and give all the best advice. Maybe it's probably more of the guess, right? It's not necessarily me. Read every book that people have written, every piece of content that tells you. But owning, operating, and, and going through the struggles that are that business, you'll learn so much more. Now, you need to be emotionally, physically, and financially ready, but there are partners where you don't have to shoulder it all. It doesn't have to be all you. And that doesn't have to be someone else that's you know another veterinarian. It can be. And you could have a, you know, a partner from day one, but it can be outside partners, someone to help with the books, someone to help with legal, someone to help with finding the real estate, right? All those different things. I want you to understand that the opportunity is there, and this is a really interesting moment in time, and I'm going to unpack that a little bit more. But you, again, you don't have to do it all yourself. I want to, and I think I have a co-writer, so I'm going to put this out there so you can all hold me accountable. But I want to write a book on, hey, I want to open a practice, but I have no idea. And this is going to be a startup versus the doors are open and it's day one. That to me needs to be read by every veterinary student coming out. So I'm hearing more and more stories of how most don't want ownership. Partially as they are told that it's not really feasible, which again is complete BS. Now you are not going to graduate and do a startup. You need to go get experience, call it three to seven years would be my recommendation, right? And again, that's always going to vary then you should be able to be in a spot where you can say, okay, is this really what I want? And just because you can, doesn't mean you have to. And I think that's important. But if you have the desire for ownership and you just feel like, hey, I've been told this isn't feasible and I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. Other people are, are feeding that to you. You can't buy into that. I talked to a third year student this past week and he said he might be one of the only ones or a handful in his class that's interested in ownership. We had a client that's trying to recruit his alma mater and they're not really interested in ownership because the the, the, the professors at the school are telling them, hey, you got to go corporate. You got to go corporate. There's no private practice options. Slight tangent, but if it comes out that corporates are lining the pockets of academic staff to help drive doctors their way, I will absolutely be calling them out and naming names. Um, I have no proof that it's ha this is happening, but I have a strong hunch that there are some things in the works there because, again, right now it's so hard to find doctors. So if I'm able to be a corporate entity, and I'm not saying that corporate is evil by any stretch of imagination. I think it's been a good thing to kind of wake up, shake up veterinary medicine, which it needed. You needed kind of a smack to say, hey, look, you need to get better at a lot of different things. And I think corporate is pushing that and making private practice better because there is a little bit more competition. But I heard a stat that less than 15% of new graduates want ownership. I think that's ludicrous. Again, if they read the book that is unpublished but will come at some point or just listen to this podcast or listen to lots of other people that have done it, they should want to at least explore it a little bit more because I don't know. I think it's ludicrous to go to school for eight years to go be an employee. Why? Why go to school for so long to then go be someone else's employee? Now, ownership is not for everyone, but I do think you can get equity even as an associate and you don't have to be the sole owner of something. I think that's key. Again, you don't have to do it by yourself. And so you can do that on the private side or you can do it on the corporate side. So again, I think people need to understand there's a really good opportunity out there. So I hear all the time like, oh, how do you get financing? How do you get financing? I am telling you, you can get lending. That is not the issue. And if you feel like you're broke 
you need to say, hey, give yourself a little bit of time, save up some money. You don't have to save up a ton. You don't have to pay off all your student loans or pay off a car loan or all this other stuff. Have some liquidity or idle cash that you're going to save. Maybe you're not going to max out your 401k in a certain year. That's okay. Because if you're going to go become a practice owner, that's a much better method to get to early retirement or building wealth than saving into your 401k. And I know as a CFP financial advisor, it seems like a crazy thing to say, but your business is going to be the thing that's going to grow faster than anything else. There are multiple lenders in this space that will provide financing. I recently saw a client doing a startup. Um, his loan for 10 years is at like 4875 fixed. And again, if you have a great business and you have a good profit margin and you're paying yourself a, living, a livable wage as a DVM, so even if you're paying yourself a little bit less than maybe you go hire someone, your profit margin, if you're running a good business, again, is in the mid-teens. You're borrowing at less than 5%. That leverage, that creates a lot of value and that value is coming back to you. That's fantastic. That is what you want to do. And a lot of people think about leverage as being bad, but no one has a problem using leverage when they want to go buy their house. No one's saving up all the money to buy their, their primary home and buying it in cash. The people that are buying cash are typically investors and they're borrowing that money anyways, but that's a whole side tangent. And lenders will give you $700,000. And I know another special lender, which I'm hopefully going to have on the show. And I think they should be a sponsor, but that's a whole other you know topic as well. They're doing $750,000 as a starting point for a startup. So it's not that you're not going to be able to afford to do this. If you have a good idea and you are a good doctor and start to think about, okay, I'm a good doctor. I want to own. Here's kind of the opportunity set in this area. And maybe it's moving and finding the right idea area to open up a certain style of practice, that's fine. Or I want to go back home and do this there. There's plenty, plenty of options and plenty of people that will help finance that dream. So I don't want you to think, hey, I can't get the funding for that. Also, what's the worst thing that happens if you go and try your own thing? You fail, you go work for someone else again. That's it. And maybe you're a little behind on retirement savings, but at least you know that you tried. And again, Right now, there's such a demand for service, and you ask anyone, it's like, oh, we're out, you know, six weeks, eight weeks, two months, you know, two and a half months to see new patients. If you're there and you're open and you can see people, you're going to get some revenue in the door and you're going to be able to be successful, even if you're very imperfect and make tons of mistakes, you know, you trip and fall and skin your elbow. That's going to happen, but you can be successful in spite of that because this kind of big macro tailwind of the demand for veterinary care and the lack of veterinarians. You can do some great things in the space. There are also 50, almost 50 private equity firms in the space. Last year, venture capital spent over a billion dollars on pet companies. And I know that's not all veterinary medicine specific, but they're investing in this space and there is a reason. It's a damn good business to be in. It's profitable. It's, it's almost recession-proof. I'm not going to say it is recession-proof, but it's really resilient in the face of recessions. Also, it doesn't work without a DVM. And in most states, you can't open a practice unless you're a doctor. Do you see how much power and influence you can have in that situation? Because you are the cog that makes this all happen. And so you can either be building something for yourself or building it for someone else. I think that's the question. If you're comfortable building it for someone else and... and trying to just say, eh, I don't want as much responsibility. That's okay. But you can also build it yourself and make a really nice business where you're not tethered or attached to that six days a week. It does not have to be, you know, the business that a baby boomer built. 
because this is your business now and you can change to make sure that you can have a really successful business that cash flows, that provides the lifestyle that you need and allows you to also have a life outside of it. And I think that's what scares a lot of people. You can work the same or close to the same hours you're going to work as an associate, right? So think about how you can build a business that does reflect what you want out of it. I think that's super important. I'd love to be an owner of a practice. Maybe someday I will, because there are states that allow me to do that. But lean into the advantage that you have that most people can't open a, a practice and compete with you outside of those that are DVMs and, and the corporates. But there is something unique and special about a small business and the fact that small business drives this country in regards to you know being employers and providing opportunities. Veterinary medicine is a fantastic business that is really strong from a cash flow perspective. There's all these dynamics and you have what's called like a moat. You have this protection around other people entering into the space. So think about that. Your business allows you to pick the people you employ, pick the technology, the processes, how you provide care. You can adjust and you have pricing power to navigate inflation, deflation in this upside down kind of crazy world at the moment where you can navigate that and adjust things to make sure that you're going to still be able to pay your people the right amount to keep them but also be able to make sure that you're making enough to cover all the different bills and expenses. And you should not feel guilty if you are successful because you're taking the entrepreneurial risk. There's no shame in making money. And you can do a lot of good things with that money as well. You can help support your team. You can do different things. You can, hey, maybe you're going to add health insurance because you're doing so well for your team because that's really important. You want to be that resource. Not everyone does that. That's fine. You don't have to out of the box, but if you want to and you're profitable, you can give more back to your team. If I was in your shoes, I'd be looking at rural practices that are just outside of a metro area that might get some growth coming their way over the next, call it, you know, three to five or five to 10 years that are maybe one or one and a half doctors, paper records, lots of room for improvement, have no marketing, the website's terrible, they don't allow online booking, they don't have any new, new tools or tech, the valuation's gonna be lower and you may be able to buy it. Or what I think is probably the best idea is do a de novo startup practice and build a practice that brings the best of the customer experiences that you like from businesses outside of vet med. Look for inspiration outside. Then you can really bring in all the processes as a team because if you buy something, you're going to buy something that you're going to have to shift and change because a lot of those people are going to stay. A startup, everyone's learning your style from day one. And I think the startup would be, if I had to pick, that's what I would do. And it gives you flexibility because you can pick where you want to go Versus trying to acquire something in a rural practice or kind of outside of major metropolitan areas, depending on where you want life to be, I think this startup model makes a lot more sense. Okay, that's all I have for you today, but I'd serious, I am serious about the book and I believe it could be a, a big mark that could be left on veterinary medicine to encourage private practice ownership because I don't like the direction of this negativity. And one of the other examples I want to give you from a conversation from IVEX is I was talking to someone that is on staff at a university. And she mentioned that for first year veterinary students, the first thing in the assembly that they all get together, what did they talk about? They say, hey, congratulations, you've got here. We're excited. Here's the opportunity in veterinary medicine. This is all the stuff you can do. No, they talked about the suicide prevention, the problems, all this stuff within vet med that was negative. And I think that is absolutely ludicrous, insane, and terrible to start off something that should be a celebration with all the negatives of this industry. Why? Why do that to them? Because you're setting them off on the path of saying, oh, woe is me. Look how bad this is. Oh man, this and that. And it's just 
focusing on it? You have to talk about the issue. I get it. But why focus on it and bring it up and say, this is the most important thing today? No. Why don't you highlight, here's all the ways that this industry is fantastic for you. And we're going to do better as an industry to help support you so these things don't happen. But that's not the case. They're just going to talk about how horrible it is. You know, look how bad it is. Look how bad it is. And I fear sometimes in veterinary medicine that that is always the thing. It's this focus on the negativity versus the opportunity. And so what I would like to think about is look at the opportunities. I think private practice is a huge one. I'm an outsider. I get that. But private practice is a huge opportunity. And plain and simple, it's not easy. But you can do this and you don't have to do it alone. I will help direct anyone that wants to reach out from this podcast. If they're looking, interested, want to chat, you go to our website. You can book a call. Make sure it comes to me. Just mention you want to chat with me. Go to the VFAN. Type in a contact. There's plenty of people that want to chat with you. And if anyone actually wants to come onto the podcast anonymously, right? I mean, it would be your voice. Outside of that, maybe I could do something with a, like a robot voice to really um, distort it so no one really notes you. But if you want to talk about opening a, a practice and going through questions, let's record an episode and share it with everyone. It doesn't have to be anything specific. We can edit out anything that would maybe give away who you are, where you're at. But I think that would be a really good learning opportunity for a lot of other people. So if anyone wants to do that, I will spend the time. We will go through it. We will record it. And we'll share it. I'd obviously make sure you get to hear it before it would ever go live. But if you really want to dig in, I'm happy to, to get into the weeds with you and uh, do that. So with all that to be said, until next time, take care. Thanks for listening to today's show. The comments made on today's show should not be taken as investment, tax, or legal advice. All comments are for educational purposes only. You should consult your team before implementing anything. Isaiah Douglas is a partner of Vincere Wealth Management. Isaiah is registered in the state of Indiana, California, Texas. The biggest compliment you can give to this podcast is to share it with a friend. Reviews help the show get found, and Apple Podcasts is the platform that predominantly is how people listen to the show. If you have three to five minutes, you like the show, please head over to Apple Podcasts, give us an honest rating and review that'll help more people find the show. For all of today's links and information, head over to veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. There you can subscribe via your favorite podcast platform platform so you won't miss another episode. Finally, if you'd like more information, insights, and have the ability for your voice to be heard and interact with show guests, join the private Facebook group. You can go to the Veterinary Success Podcast on Facebook or head over to the veterinariansuccesspodcast.com. Scroll all the way to the bottom where it says about your host and then click on the Facebook icon. That'll bring you into the Facebook group. I'll approve you. You'll be in. And then I'd love to hear your questions, feedback, and anything that you'd like to see added to the show. So with all that, thank you so much for listening. I'll be talking again to you soon.